Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wrestling of Statistics, the only show that looks at the world of professional wrestling through the unique lens of stats, analytics, and everything in between. I am your host, as always, Ryan Knightsey, and with me, as always, my co-host, my uh, uh, friend from another co- country. Uh, I got nothing on that one. I'm not, I'm I'm falling apart on my nickname game. Uh, but the host. Uh, behind Pro Wrestling Musings himself, Craig Leesk. Craig, how are you doing, my friend? Um, much better after hearing your full introduction. I don't know if the listeners are going to be um, treated to the whole thing or if it's just going to be cut to um, include the kind of professional-sounding end bit. But there were some swear words. Um, there were the names of other shows that Ryan does. And Take Three, I believe that was. <laughs> I I feel like, sadly... You know, this is what episode six, seventeen. I think we've done something like that. Yeah. And you would think at this point I would have had, you know, I would have it down. (laughs) You would think I would have the intro down at this point. But I still I feel like in the past several weeks I've been getting the actual intro on like take three or four. And I don't know what's happening. I, I don't know if it's the stress is getting to me. I don't know if it's. It's, you know, I, I want to, I'm putting stress on myself. I want to put up a good front for you. Uh, I don't know what it is, but uh, I, I, I'm falling apart at the seams, it appears. Um, yeah, I think, I think um, take three is um, kind of the, the norm, to be honest with you. <laughs> take three will be like the name of like my production company, I think. It's like, <laughs> you know, you don't get it on take one or two, but take three, that's the, that's the beauty Take three is right there. Uh, well, how are you doing, Craig? How has been another week in the life of Craig Leesk? How's how, how you're still enjoying your your seven COVID case numbers a week? Another week of school in the books. Um, these are the life updates Eddie, <laughs> that I know about you. How are you doing? Oh, I was just I was just waiting to find out um, what else is going on in my life. Um, yeah. <laughs> let me let me mansplain how your life has been. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah, back at work isn't terrible. Quite like my job, kind of appreciate it more after not doing it for six months. It's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, not 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 too bad. Watched some football last night. It was okay. Um, Bayern Munich are the champions of Europe, if you care. Um, yeah, that's that's about it. Wow, the champions of Europe. Can you can you how? I feel like I need to start watching soccer like and, and I, I legit I've been thinking about it for a little bit now. My girlfriend is also she used to play soccer and loves soccer. But we, I feel like, you know, and the Atlanta, I think it's Atlanta United team uh, won the MLS Cup, I think, like two years ago. So I live in an area that appreciates soccer as well. I feel like I need to start getting more into soccer. Um. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Um. I think. America is one of a handful of countries, isn't it, that doesn't have it as their first sport. Um, I'm not sure where else, um, you in Australia, perhaps. Probably. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's strange that um, kind of the most sportingly capable country in the world because of, I don't know, money and population, when you look at the Olympics, doesn't bother so much with the world's main sport. When you know what I should do, I should just look up the Premier League and pick mm-hmm. a team, and that'll be my team to get me going into the soccer 
uh, universe, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Now, what team could I pick that will not upset Craig the most? Let's see. I love the logo of the Hotspurs. Mm-hmm. Just a bird on top of a ball. <laughs> <laughs> Very low effort. That's all it is. Uh, oh, what the? I mean, if you if you want a good logo, you have to go with Everton. And um, they've got the very, you know, quite often sports teams go with like things that inspire kind of strength or confidence or whatever. Um, yeah, when you when you look at Everton's badge, they've just got like a, a tower. It's, it's very odd. Yes, they're they're fortified. And, they, and then it has like <laughs> and they, they have a shield logo, which I enjoy. I assume this Wikipedia mm. thing where I clicked on Premier League and then teams is up to date. Uh, I would assume so. Uh, I do like the who is this? the Wolverhampton Wanderers. Yeah, that's a good name. Um, generally just called Wolves. They're they're quite exciting, actually, for uh, uh, their, you know, um, they only got into the league a couple of years ago and they're like seventh this season. They're they're all right. And I'm also enjoying the logo behind what Watford Watford. Watford, what's is uh, yellow and black with a red B on it or something is that correct yellow and black of a red moose on it moose all right okay i don't know what the moose is about because they're called the hornets so wait yeah, hold on, hold on. <laughs> wait they're called the hornets and they have a moose yeah what i think well it's because of the yellow the yellow and black what a terrible who designed this oh hall city hall city look at that look at that gosh dang jaguar uh, it's a it's a tiger. That's a tiger. Okay, well then I'm yeah. Then I'm not but they're that. they're um they're not in the Premier League. Oh well, then this list is not up to date. They were they were, they've not been in the Premier League for two or three years. Who's your team? Who's your team, Craig? And um, well, I I support Liverpool, and I always have. So it's not just because they won the league. Um, so I I don't. It's kind of a bad look to kind of choose your football team and then go for the ones that have just won the league i feel oh well no i'm not gonna go i'm not uh, i'm not gonna piggyback as you can tell i've already (laughs) started deciding based purely on uh uh, logos alone and if i had to if i had to pick a team that i really wanted to support that was part of premier league based on logo alone i think i'm gonna go with the wolves i think i'm gonna go with the Mm. wolf the wolverhampton wanderers yeah, wolves are good. Um, they're the best players from Mexico. That's near you. <laughs> that is, this is true. And <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Raul Raul Jimenez is their best player, and then they've got this other guy called Adama Traore, who's fun to play with on FIFA because he runs really fast. Oh, that's always good. That's always good. Well, maybe I'm gonna start being a wolves guy, a wolves a wolvesman. If you will, a wolfsman. A wolfsman. Is that is that how, is that how there's? <laughs> oh, who knows? Um, I I know. I I used to play soccer, but I feel like I just don't know anything about the culture of soccer slash football, um, in general. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, I don't know about like culture. It's quite tempestuous, I suppose. It's um, there's a lot of I suppose aggro surrounding it. Um. A lot of cities have more than one team and, um, you know, when people are looking for anything to attach tribalism to, football tends to be the one that gets it. So 
Um, I, I mean, I, I, America, I don't know if you get this as much because each city seems to have a team and um, I, I don't know if the hostility is as bad. I don't, I don't associate American football with having a particular amount of hostility around it. Uh, no, I would say that college sports have a little bit of that tribalism. Mm. I mean, granted, most college sports also come from like a place of like, usually starts from like, oh, I went to this school and I like their mm-hmm. their team. But college sports has a lot more of that sort of uh, rivalry between teams because, you know, you're, the team is always the same. When you go to like professional leagues like NBA, basketball, mm-hmm. NFL football, it's less about the teams, but I would argue more about the players on the team mm-hmm. you're sort of rooting from player to player and that's kind of the reason why i like college ball a lot more is because i like supporting the team so maybe maybe european football is the way to go for me yeah i mean it's certainly about teams um i mean i would i would often if like a player left my team um then i'd probably still follow them depending on how much i like them or how they left mm-hmm. um like, so for example, when I was growing up, Michael Owen was one of the players that was good for Liverpool at that time. So I, I kind of always liked him when he was um, that. He went to Newcastle for a bit and I always followed his career. Um, where he went after that, I wasn't such a big fan of as he went to Manchester United. And throughout my whole childhood, Manchester United were the team that kind of won any, everything and they get a lot of plaudits and Ferguson's like the best football manager ever. But I would suggest to you that over the, over like Manchester United's stranglehold over English football, they were never actually really that interesting to watch or they were never really like an A plus football team. And they never hit the heights of like a Barcelona or a, even a Manchester City, or I would suggest Liverpool mm-hmm. in the last two years. Um, but yeah. No, it's more it's more about um teams. Um, but like it does lead to the kind of, you know, uh just try Googling images of Celtic Rangers in Glasgow or, you know, if you want something even more um illustrative of like how tribal football gets, have a look at um Turkish or Greek and um, Turkish Galatasaray versus whoever their rivals are is always kind of terrifying. And if you want to be proper scared, have a look at South American football rivalries. Those are like um, deadly. I feel like Rob said something about how like they used to like throw things on the field. It was like some other, I don't know, mm. I don't remember. Go back mm-hmm. and listen to that episode, I guess. Um, yeah, um, it was the Luis Figo left Real Madrid for, no, Luis Figo went to Real Madrid from Barcelona and somebody threw a pig's head onto the field. That's what it was. Them. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? In lighter, I, news, in lighter news, a couple of seasons ago, somebody threw a cabbage at Steve Bruce. And this, and this was what's wrong with PC culture. No one wants to throw pig's heads on the pitch anymore. <laughs> They're just throwing cabbage. That's all it is. They're not, they don't want to go and really upset people. They just want to upset <laughs> vegetarians, I guess. Oh, yeah. man. Okay, well, we're not only we're not even we're not even a football podcast here. What we talk about here is wrestling, and what we talk about in regards to wrestling is we basically kind of review wrestling matches, but not just any sort of normal review thing. We got to throw our spin on it, throw our spin on the ball, 
And what we do is we take a look at the uh, wrestling matches that we enjoyed in the past week or sort of big moments of the past week. And we'll talk about it through the stats analytics because as sort of Craig uh, uh, creates the or figures out the stats for everything or uh, uh, what's the word? I don't want to say I tend to say collates. Collates is a, yeah, that's probably the word I'm trying to think of. As mm-hmm. Craig collates the stats together, uh, stories appear from all these stats, not just the stories that are told in the ring, but more specifically mm-hmm. what these stats tell. And uh, we're here today to discuss. We have a decent amount of stuff to get to, so let's get right into it real quickly. Uh, we wanted to talk about this. We kind of alluded to it last week. Um, but we wanted to open up a little bit with Cody versus Mr. Brody Lee of the Dark Order for that TNT title match. Last week, we talked about how this potentially could be a, a title change like it, in fact, was. Uh, but boy, mm-hmm. howdy, was this a uh, quick match, uh, Craig? Was <laughs> three minutes and nine seconds for Brody Lee to get the win over Cody. Uh, and we got some news about the whole Cody angle as well, I guess. But uh, let's talk about the match first. Uh, not much, I would say, maybe to talk about, but what are, what are your takeaways here, Craig? Yeah, so it's interesting. I can remember looking at the clock, be like, there's only like 10 minutes left here. Um, they're going to go to a draw so that they can do this again all out or something like that. Um, in fact, no, um, Brody was just going to crush Cody in three minutes and nine seconds. Um, Cody with 12 strikes there on the graphic, um, he got those 12 strikes straight away. He rushed into Brody Lee, attacked him, hit him about 12 times before Brody um, fought back, kind of pushing him off. And then he just took control and destroyed and dismantled Cody Rhodes, um, who has been on a winning streak. He is um, the the kind of the most accumulative um wrestler for kind of in ring in 2020 for 1v1 matches quite considerably and he was just taken apart here in three minutes um so much so quickly so that there was time for the dark order to um take out arn anderson and the nightmare family and cody's um partner brandy Rhodes. so it was um quite quite something to behold um and i would suggest that statistics here and the way that the match panned out if you look at the the rather um shortened version of the flow of offense as usual (laughs) um you know there's the there's the rush from cody um and then Brody lee's sweeping offense cody there was one point in the match where he managed to reverse a move from Brody lee and Brody lee uh immediately reversed it back into his favor without cody getting in any offense and just won the match. Um, and I would suggest what's interesting here is as Cody has kind of perhaps descended into the Prince of Pro Wrestling persona or whatever that was about, um, I would have suggested before that he was very measured in his matches. He had a plan. He'd go for submission holds. Um, he didn't always get in a lot of offense, but it was measured. Whereas here, he rushed at the beginning and got dismantled by an opponent that he perhaps wasn't prepared for. Yeah. This... Maybe he's got something else on his mind. Who knows what he's doing in coming weeks? Oh man. If only we had news to break. Uh, well, uh, my take on this match was like, it felt like I was watching a match on dark, you know, like that sort of idea mm-hmm. of, you know, take the, uh, maybe not the greatest example, but like take uh, any sort of like match on dark, where we have the quote unquote jobber, 
uh, who is it's not really jobber. It's just kind of like low card people because they're not like jobbing out people. Um, but, you know, let's take like Sean Dean or something or or I don't know, Ryan Pyle or no, my my favorite Fabu Andre. You know, mm-hmm. we're taking Fabu Andre. He's he Fabu Andre is facing John Moxley. He's trying to get the win quickly as possible um, because he a win over the AEW World Champion John Moxley would be a huge moment in Fabu Andre's mm-hmm. career. So he's coming out swinging first, but then after a little bit, he just gets overrun. Uh, you, you know, he uh, gasses out and he just gets utterly destroyed. This is kind of what happened here. Cody went for it at the very beginning and then just, as you can see in the flow of offense, he had his his moment. Mr. Brody Lee not only uh, got it back, uh, but over-empowered, uh, not over-empowered, that's not even a word, overpowered uh, Cody with his own level of offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and was just able to just utterly dismantle and destroy the the crown over the prince of pro wrestling and take that crown for himself. Um, yeah, I mean, when you look at this, it's it's not really about anything else. It's just about just Cody was. I don't know. I don't know what's different. Is it the fact that he? I would have to look at the past Cody like flow of offense to stuff to see if he you know was what's kind of changed what's kind of different about this match did he did he go for it at the very beginning as opposed to sort of waiting and biding his time like what what is different about maybe it's just Brody Lee versus everybody else I mean this was Cody's ninth uh TNT title match which I think was out of 10 weeks I believe 10 or 11 weeks yeah, so I think, um, as you'd suggested, we're going to look at this title reign in detail at some point because there's so much material there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been like a Cody match every week. When you Just very quickly, though, seeing, as you mentioned it, when he fought against Scorpio Sky, um, Scorpio Sky was the one that came out hot. Um, Cody built, um, built his offense towards a crescendo at the end um, against Warhorse, Again, it was Warhorse that was in that kind of came out hot. Cody had a bit in the middle, and then picked his um, picked his spot at the end. Eddie Kingston, um, Eddie Kingston came out hot. Cody kind of matched it against Eddie Kingston. Kingston kind of took control in the middle, and it was very much again Cody picked his spot towards the end. Um, so maybe it's a case of the spot that he was waiting to pick, um, just did not come i don't know um starks is the only one where cody was kind of stronger at the beginning starks took control in the middle and then cody again it's picked his spot there's no kind of he didn't really overwhelm starks it just happens towards the end um mark quinn took it to cody cody matched him big spike from cody in the middle and um, mark quinn throwing off rents around like crazy towards the end and Cody picked his spot. Um, Jungle Boy, um, Cody came out hot against Jungle Boy. Um, Jungle Boy built his way into the match, kind of taking control after that head bump on the outside. Uh, Cody overwhelmed Jungle Boy towards the end. So out of the ones that I've got in front of me just now, um, Cody has been picking his spot and matching his opponents. And um, whereas here it looks like he didn't feel that he could against Brody Lee or he wasn't prepared against Brody Lee or he panicked. 
Um, nonetheless, Brody Lee didn't give Cody a chance to hang around. He didn't give him a chance to pick a spot. And he took those 12 shots and literally shoved Cody off of him and just took the match by the scruff of the neck. Yeah, there's something to say as well that Brody Lee is someone that when we looked at offense taken for wrestlers, Brody Lee mm-hmm. is someone that could also sort of absorb that punishment. Those super heavyweights are tend to absorb punishment. And by that, I mean 12 strikes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I will, and next week we will be taking a deep dive into Cody's TNT title run, all of those nine matches, to sort of see what we can pick, pick out in terms of you know those analytics and whatnot. Um, cause there were some interesting ideas that we, we sort of teased, not really teased, but talked about before we started recording last week that were like, Oh, okay. There's just, there's some, there's some, there's some ideas brewing about of how this whole title run was. And I think, you know, nine matches, I think it's a good idea to sort of break it down, look at it and see how it did. I think, I think all in all, I think this was a great title run from Cody. It really helped establish the prestige of this title with nine great matches, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, been, it's been superb, like um, the most um, consistent thing in wrestling, I'd suggest. Yeah, and I would also help say that like it really helped. I mean, this TNT title has sort of really helped mm. be a constant, solid thing during this COVID era of wrestling, especially for AEW. You know, when they were in filming in georgia for that number of weeks they you know we had that tournament um and then you know we had double or nothing and then we had this nine out of 11 week run of title matches from cody so it was always something that we can look forward to and it really was helpful will Brody lee continue that i doubt it um but uh i let i guess let's get into the news before we talk about the rest of Brody lee sorry run. just just very quickly on what you were saying there about kind of what the title's done. Um, so there was a really interesting um, tweet from Michael Sidwich about Sidwich. Sid, I'm going to start that again. Um, so there's really <laughs> Take interesting. Three. Take three. <laughs> so there's a really interesting tweet from Michael Sidwick on Twitter about this. And he was talking about how AEW created this new title in the middle of quarantine era in an empty building with no fans and how they put it on Cody who was kind of criticized for putting the title on himself and um, by some and they've taken it week by week and built up the prestige of this title still not really with any fans um he comments on the look of it looking like a tin can um which you know it's it's harsh but it's for an, for effect um, and yeah how Cody losing this title was a huge moment. It um, kind of gave, um, it kind of made Brody Lee credible and just just really how they've done such a good job with this title with such difficulty at the same time. Um, and yeah, I mean, for, for personally, if you compare the prestige of this title against something like the universal title in <laughs> WWE um, and the kind of, resources and the times at which they were trying to establish these titles it's kind of night and day to be quite honest yeah it's kind of crazy that the best way to establish a title is just have a lot of great solid defenses um who would have who would have thunk it you know who would have thunk that just solid wrestling uh it's not like there's uh you know 
a WWE network with a history of all these wrestling promotions all around the world that have like done that at any point. Yeah, but if that existed, that would cost like hundreds of dollars, wouldn't it? <laughs> surely, surely. And like, what if I wanted to watch a bunch of Stampede matches? How would I be able to do that? Uh, tapes. You need to get those tapes. I gotta get those. I gotta, I gotta get that tape library. Let's start shipping tapes to each other. Uh, yeah, but I'm very excited. I thought, you know, this title run was great. We'll go into the deep dive even more next week, sort of give an overview of Cody's TNT title reign. Um, so yeah, we'll do all that next week, but more before we talk about, you know, Mr. Brody Lee's potential title run and where that could be going a little bit of, uh, uh, I guess, exclusive news from this broadcast is that, uh, from a source saying that Cody this is sort of a write-off for Cody, uh, because Cody will be working on a side project. He'll be entering a bubble on that side project so because of the nature. Kind of like, you know, like the NBA basketball bubbles where they kind of have to be stuck mm-hmm. inside the bubble. Uh, you know, uh, Cody will have to be stuck inside that bubble, which means that he will not return to Dynamite until at the very least, what was it, the 23rd of September, whatever that Wednesday was. Gotta look it up again. Yeah, 23rd of September at the very least. Assume also assuming that uh, AEW's uh, taping schedule remains the same of being bi-weekly. Bi-weekly? Every other week. Is bi-weekly and every other week the same thing? Uh, I, I think so, yeah. I think, yeah. I think as well. So what that means is that if he this is sort of a write-off, this means that Cody won't be back till the 23rd. It also means he will be gone from All Out, uh, assuming all of those things stay in place. So with that knowledge, Craig, where do you think Mr. Brody Lee is going with his? Are we getting weekly title defenses? Are we, and more importantly, who will he be defending that championship against at All Out? Yeah, it's an interesting one in that scenario um, with Cody having been kind of the consistent wrestling presence on um, Dynamite over the past few weeks, the kind of the TNT title defense as being such a consistent source of quality wrestling. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how Dynamite manage without him. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of somebody stepping up to take on Brody Lee, um, whether or not he does the same thing as Cody. I could, I mean, a lot of people are saying that he won't, but I could see him um, wanting to diminish Cody's reign and being like, yeah, I'll, I'll take on blah, 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 and blah. Um, but I mean, you might then see dark order interference or, or whatever. Um, in terms of the pay-per-view, I'm really struggling to come up with a name, somebody that like a babyface competitor that um, makes sense. Maybe it'll be Dustin with a Cody link, but not sure. Can I hit you with a name? Mm-hmm. Uh, get ready to turn up that radio, because looking down the ring is Matt Cardona defending his friend oh, Cody and taking on Brody Lee. That's, that's not part of my news. That's, that's just my theory. <laughs> that's what they're going to do. It makes sense, because remember, mm-hmm. Matt Cardona debuted in a tag match with Cody against mm-hmm. Reynolds and Silver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I prefer my idea. I prefer Dustin, but that's fair. I think <laughs> your idea will be be more likely. I, yeah, I I I like the Dustin a little bit more. I think the problem with the Dustin is that Dustin was also attacked by in that closing mm-hmm. angle. So there's an argument to be yeah. made that like, I wonder it's if they I wonder if they're taking away, you know, if they're going to take away Cody 
for however many weeks. I wonder if they're going to be taking away the rest of the Nightmare fam, you know, taking away QT, Dustin, and Brandy off the next several weeks. I never, I never thought not about sure. that, but that might be, that could be part of it. I mean, they're not, yeah, they're not involved um, with what Cody's doing, but I wonder if that's they're he, they're going to have to be involved because of the angle. I would guess that they'll stick around to to remind you of what happened. I think I think you'll see um, the natural nightmares taking on the dark order. You might even see something between Brandy and Anna J. That's true. Um, yeah, but that I, would be interesting actually. I, I think Matt Cardona is the mm-hmm. most, uh, to me, the most obvious pick. We have two dynamites before uh, this uh, all out, so I, you know, sort of seeing. Because then you could have maybe Matt Cardona win and then Cody comes back to challenge for the title or something. Mm-hmm. And then we have that match. You know, Matt only has five appearances. He's potentially used one or two of them, um, depending how they count appearances or when that contract was signed or that agreement, I should say. Less of a contract, more of an agreement. Um, so they've, they've kind of been building up um, uh, three, four and five as a trio. Mm-hmm. Um, Silvers, Reynolds, and Angels. So I, I do wonder if it's a case of them taking on the natural nightmares who need a partner. Enter mm. Matt, Matt Cardona. That's not a bad idea either, because then you have Matt mm-hmm. Cardona appear, and then he can challenge Brody to make up for yeah. his friend. I, th- I think I think we're on the right track here. I, I think I think we are on the right track of how to book this whole angle i know i know it's not something you <laughs> wanted uh but i think this is that this is what's probably going to happen i would i would put money down on that i put money yeah, down on yeah yeah no i i i would be surprised if matt cardona doesn't take on Brody lee at, at all out now yeah well sp- speaking of pay-per-views we had a nxt takeover the 30th anniversary not anniversary i don't want, i'm not natalia i don't want to get confused the 30th uh special coming out of nxt um takeover xxx um so we had what six matches on this card thoughts on the overall card top down craig about this brand new pay-per-view coming out of nxt so <laughs> what a what a sad response to press I mean, it was fine yeah like it was it was all right it was decent uh, there was some good stuff in there but like gone are the days where the show opens with a tag team ripper has at least one other you know really top work rate quality match and then almost like a guaranteed main event you know quality assured match um it's just it's just it's not nxt anymore do you th- wh- why do you think that is do you think or maybe a better question is where where was what was the point where nxt no longer became nxt of old was it when they arrived on usa network was it when you know COVID started and crowds were um, gone, like WWE says it was? What what what's where's the point? Do you think? Um, I'm not I'm not convinced it was just that. I think it was I think it was going that way before then. You know, um, before COVID or before USA Network? Before USA Network. Oh, really? I the the first time I can remember watching uh, Takeover and being a bit kind of miffed by the main event was 
the three stages of hell match at TakeOver Toronto to the Johnny Gargano, Adam Cole one where, where um, you, you know, they had that, that, was it a steel cage or... Yeah, just a steel cage. They, they, yeah. It was it or the Adam Cole Johnny Gargano match. Was that the one? Yeah, oh, that yeah. was a two out of three falls match. Toronto too. I'll look, I'll look it up. I'll double check. But continue. So they they had they had the they they had the original title match that Johnny Gargano won, and I believe that was um, Toronto won. And then there was another one where Cole won, and blah blah blah. But eventually. Um, so I've got it on my screen now. Um, what's the date though? I think it was in July last year. It was it was like in the summer before, um, before what do you call it? <laughs> before AEW happened, and like like the card is fine. Um, Street Profits versus Undisputed Era. I would guess that was good, but I can't remember. Shayna Baszler versus Mia Yim. I can remember that. It was bad. Um, and then they've got a. a three-way for the North American Championship, um, VD versus Roderick Strong and Pete Dunne. I think that was all right. I think I enjoyed that, but people were down on it. And then it was the Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano kind of really contrived match. The, like the first the first fall was a wrestling match and then it was a street fight and then it was a steel cage match, barbed, something like that. Barbed wire steel cage match. Oh, really, was it? Yes, yeah. they had it barbed wire on the top. good. Yeah, and, and that was the moment where they did a coming, you know, from the top of the steel cage through mm-hmm. a bunch of tables to retain the yeah. title. Yeah, so that that one wasn't good, and it began it began to feel like they'd become obsessed with having these epic matches, and they started trying to force it, and mm-hmm. um, and then. NXT on USA happened and it started off all right. There was that great. Um, the first one had a great title match between um, a challenger whose name I'm not going to say either and Adam Cole. Uh, it was very good. Um, it's hard to talk about this without stumbling into these people. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it, it started off. Such okay, a sad world we live in in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it it's just, it, it felt like they lost their knack. Then they realized that people were turning on them. So they've started employing more and more main roster people or main roster tropes. And now it's this thing that like, like it's not NXT anymore and it's not as goofy and sillily engaging as the main roster can be. It's just this kind of, um, yeah, this no, not non needed anymore thing. The Toronto, uh, takeover was followed up was what February, uh, August 10th, 2019, right before they went to mm. USA network followed mm-hmm. up with war games where we had the, you know, this is on USA network. Good. The arrival of Finn Balor. Yeah, War Games is good. We had the arrival of Finn Balor. So we're talking about those main roster stars. That that was a solid show. And then following that was Portland, um, Mm -hmm. which that was the sort of discussion. I remember the the discourse about Portland was that like every match was basically the same. Um, There was like... it they're was all, all like good average. they're all yeah. above average matches but they every match was the same so by the time he got to the cold champa 
match which wasn't good it, everything sort of like st- all the melodrama sort of stacked on top yeah. of each other until you got there and you're like okay i don't care for this anymore or at least, very least that's what i felt yeah. as well i can just remember portland being a slog like yeah. it's hard to get through and then uh that was february so then you know a couple weeks later covid started mm-hmm. then we get in your house and now we're at uh triple x yeah and like in your house was okay but i think by that point expectations were so low because of covid and nxt and like i think i in particular was just kind of wanting something to be good mm-hmm. so i think there was a decent finn balor match in amongst that and then i i really liked the triple threat women's match um but yeah it's it's, it's sad like i don't well, I'd be lying if I said that I don't enjoy seeing silly things about NXT. Um, but I'd rather it was still what it was before, you know, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Nakamura, Al, all of those guys. That's all fair. Well, let's get through this rundown. Of course, like I said, we have six matches and then we have stats for a select number of these matches. But of course, we don't have them for all. So we're going to go through them at the very least. Starting off with the pre-show match that everyone uh, almost definitely saw. It was Brizongo defeating Oni Lorcan, Danny Birch and the team from... I can't pronounce this properly. Legado del Fantasma, I believe. Mm. Yakin Wild... Joaquin, Joaquin, there it is, Joaquin Joaquin, Wilde and Raul Mendoza, which did not realize until I was (laughs) looking at this just now. Did you know that was a number one contenders match for the NXT Tag Team Championships? Uh, I think I did, yeah. Um, But then again, I didn't actually watch it, so. Well, it was a, I watched it. It was a fine match. Mm. I am a fan of Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch. I thought they did a great job. They're very good. They're very, very good. I thought they did a great job in this match. Brizongo is there is fine. Wilder Mendoza did a fine job as well. It was a six minute match, six and 52 second match. Um, Mm. So I'm sort of like, you know, this is it wasn't much to really be there to begin with. And then now they know it's a number one contenders match. I'm so more of upset now about it because mm-hmm. now that means we get to see Imperium versus Brizongo, which mm-hmm. is not something I'm excited for. I would have been way more excited for Lorcan and Birch, but, uh, or even Wilder Mendoza, but you know, that's fine. We'll get Brizongo against Imperium down the road. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a fine match. I mean, I don't really have much more to say to that, Craig, than I just wish it was Birch and Lorcan. Yeah, yeah. Don't know why it's not. Um, maybe they're looking for those main roster YouTube clicks. I guess so. I don't. Or maybe the the twitter shareability of mm-hmm. uh, interactions of brizongo and all of their various entrances uh yeah, mean more possibly. maybe than a, a great match of birch and lorkin versus imperium but that's besides the point i guess uh moving on to the first match on the main card it was finn balor defeating timothy thatcher in 13 minutes and 32 seconds to open up the show uh, Craig, we do have uh, one page of stats here to talk about thoughts on this match and thoughts of the stats. Um, yeah, so I didn't go into huge detail with this match. It was it was fine. I quite enjoy watching the kind of exchange of kind of struggling grapple submission type moves when it's kind of intricately done like it was here. 
Um, statistics tell the story of the match. Finn Balor doing a bit of submission to fend off Thatcher, but Thatcher um, with just a second under three minutes worth of submission the whole match. Um, 13 and a half minute match, uh, three minutes of that was Thatcher trying to submit Balor. So that's a hefty chunk of the match. Um, Balor differentiated his offense more, therefore more of the uh, strikes, grapples and dives, etc., were used, uh, utilized by Finn Balor. You can also see the tactics from the pin attempts, five pin attempts from Balor, only one from Thatcher who was trying to submit his opponent. Uh, this was an all right match. Um, 40 reversals, which is quite a lot for a 13 and a half minute match. Uh, this is because of the kind of the hold reversal, hold reversal aspect and um, rather nature of the beginning of this. Um, for kind of a bit of context, there were only 44 reversals in the 2150 minute cross and Lee match. So quite, very intricate, um, very, very um kind of side to side in terms of who was who was in charge yeah i think very obvious i sort of noticed this trend when we were talking about the fight pit match uh with mm -hmm. riddle and thatcher is that when it comes to wwe they or at the very least nxt what they do a lot with their wrestlers are that they define them a lot more into a certain genre of wrestling Whereas WWE or AEW has a lot more like uh, uh, all around guys or the matches are more all around. There is when you have Thatcher and they're like, yeah, he's the mat specialist uh, submission uh, guy. That's what he's going to be doing. One hundred and seventy nine seconds of submissions, reversals, not, a, you know, a decent amount of strikes as well. But, you know, compared to Balor, who is more of a striker, you're then he's mm -hmm. he's going to get more strikes in. He's going to have more strike downs. Um, you know, Thatcher is just going to go in there and try to wear you down submission wise. Balor is going to try to, you know, outstrike you. And that is what really what came down to what the stat showed me. And obviously when it came down to it, Balor got the win here, even though getting less match offense in general, you know, he did get that more strike down rates and reversals as well. So he did get some, uh, uh, he did get submissioned, submissioned with an ed mm -hmm. a lot by thatcher but he was able to reverse a lot of those yeah. submission holds to eventually get the win here i do think balor i think do think this match already is kind of weird having balor and thatcher i think it's a solid like on a match card it looks nice but like balor i guess is a face now and mm -hmm. see uh, People are arguing that he can maybe be challenging Karrion Cross down the line. Uh, but even then, I think it's weird because then you have Thatcher, who is someone else that they've been pushing. I don't know. It feels like it feels like the, the sort of thing of like they're pushing these two guys in a way. But then it's like, you know, you have Thatcher lose fairly clean. So then it's like, OK, what is Thatcher doing? Um, I don't know. I, I think you could, could have put a Thatcher in the latter match and that could have been more interesting than having him in this match. But that's more of a personal gripe than anything else. I think it was still a fine match, you know, a solid match between these two. Like you said, it, it's not a takeover of old where you get a high octane tag thriller. You get mm -hmm. a sort of methodical uh, grapple match um, between Thatcher and Balor here. 
Yeah, I mean, I I, I liked it. Um, Ballard had a similar match with Gargano um, a, a while back. That was again, it was very intricate to begin with. It's it I suppose it depends on taste, but I I wouldn't want to see that um, every match in the card or even three or four of them. It would lose the kind of intrigue, but it's certainly I find it really interesting watching how they're using kind of like almost like proper wrestling to kind of try and be superior. Yeah, I'm interested to see where Thatcher will go and continue to go. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't have an answer on that one. It, it is quite mystifying. Is, is there any possibility that there, there could eventually, maybe not anytime soon, but eventually be some sort of team up with him and Imperium? You know, go go back into those ring conf days. Possibly depends where Walter actually is. I don't know. I I think he's not in America because oh, actually he was featured in the NXT UK um, advert that I think was on during this show. Yeah, was on, on one of the two. Like so that. yeah, um, it seems like he's going to be there. Um, and if the other guys are currently in America, you know they're they're stuck where they are. Um, so that that would make sense. He could perhaps be the leader. Um, that would that would be interesting. I wonder if he will be tangling with Damian Priest at some point. But yeah, who who knows? It's yeah. I, I I'm not. I've not been paying as close attention as I once did to NXT. So it's hard to kind of read the lay of the land there. I like that idea that the winner of this match goes on to potentially challenge for the NXT Championship, while the loser of this match goes on to potentially challenge for the North American Championship. Yeah, but that's just how they do it, isn't it? It doesn't matter if you lose; you can just get it anyway. That's that's uh, that's a point, and that's sort of an overall gripe, I guess, we have of NXT at mm. the moment. Moving down the card, of course, we have the ladder match for the vacant vacant NXT North American Championship. Uh, in 21 minutes and 24 seconds, it was Damian Priest that ended up climbing that ladder and defeating Bronson Reed, Cameron Grimes, Johnny Gargano, and others. Uh, Damian Priest gets the win here. We also have the sort of uh, a very <laughs> a, a great graph that I love, the sort of flow of offense tie changes, because obviously it would be a nightmare, I imagine, to put together a sort of one sheet of uh this match but uh talk us through this match your thoughts on the match but also talk us through this beautiful colorful graph um so the 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 reason that i only did this slide because this was the slide that i was most interested in seeing i could have done the match stats slide but um one of the competitors in this match was named in the speaking out um allegations and like it's it's weird enough seeing these people wrestle never mind putting their face on stuff yourself. So I've chosen not to do that. Um, but I did still want to see how this graph looked out. So I've kind of made a compromise with myself and just on the graph and left the rest of it out. Um, but yeah, it does a good job, I feel, of showing who was kind of in control of the match at certain points. Um, as you can see, Bronson Reed features somewhat heavily. He has the biggest spike of offense in this match and he's kind of there and abouts throughout. Um, he did stand out to me. I thought he was great in the big spots. I loved that moment with him on the ladder with Candice LeRae on his back. That was really inventive. I liked that a lot. Um, you can see Damien Priest is kind of sporadically involved in big chunks before he reappears at the end after being nowhere. Um, Johnny Gargano also does figure uh, feature quite, quite consistently. Um, and then especially at the end, and the man that like doesn't really feature 
Um, there's only small bursts of green there for Cameron Grimes. He kind of popped up, made a silly noise, and kind of got hit. It was generally his um, kind, of, kind of his role in the match. So yeah, it was it's um, it was an interesting match to analyze this way. It was interesting to notice how the competitors kind of cycled in and out of the match. Yeah, and that's also a great point is that that sort of cycling out, you know, it's a five man ladder match. You're cycling people mm-hmm. in and out constantly. I do also like the fact that um, the people with the largest spikes did not win. I mean, I don't know how much mm-hmm. of it, there is something to say to that, but Damian Priest, the guy that eventually wins the match, has the fourth at a fourth out of five people highest spike. Mm-hmm. So him like it's it's it the what I, the reason I bring that up is that this is a ladder match. The match isn't about getting necessarily the most offense into your opponent. It's about wearing down your opponent enough so that they can be down for a couple seconds so that you can get the opportunity to climb a ladder and grab a title. So it, you don't, you don't have to, you know, Bronson Reed is someone that I feel like he was constantly shining and constantly trying to put in a lot of effort, but ultimately there's an argument to me that that, was maybe not the best tactic for him. You want to be someone that can like Damian priest put in a decent amount of effort to wear down his opponents, but then able to also take the punishment and climb that ladder and, uh, uh, grab the, uh, title. Whereas like Cameron Grimes was just sort of a non-factor you could argue in this match as well. Um, based on this sort of flow of offense here. What are your thoughts on Damian priest getting his first title in the NXT division? Wasn't expected. Um, didn't think it would be him. I've not been a big fan of his, I have to admit. Um, yeah, I, all that I can remember from him is he took a really horrible-looking bump where he was kind of knocked off the apron of the ring onto some steel steps in a takeover a while ago. It might have even been in your house. It was, it was. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I Maybe I thought it might have gone with Cameron Grimes. Um, he's been getting a lot of airtime recently. He would have made a kind of a really good cowardly heel, perhaps holding this belt. Um, Johnny Gargano could have probably done the job, but it seems a bit pointless. I don't know. I just don't. I don't gravitate towards um, Damian Priest. I just I'm not not drawn in by him. Yeah, for me, it was the the reason I'm not really drawn to the Damian Priest character is that uh, I I just don't. I just don't care about like a, a guy that is like this nightclub archer dude mm-hmm. person. Like I don't really care. I thought punishment Martinez on in ring of honor was a much more interesting character, you know, sort of that kind. I mean, I could see why they change it maybe, but he, you know, he kind of has that like personality where he's like the, you know, dark brooding figure. And then he, when it comes to like big matches, he like ramps it up even more with a little bit of face paint. So I can see why they changed it. Uh, but, you know, when you come to NXT, you know, Balor's already different. So who cares? Um, so I, I was like, I, I, Damian Priest here is just somebody that like, I think he's like a solid performer. I just think that he's sort of hampered by a weird character motif thing. Um, he's quite old as well. Is he not like 40? He have, he looks old. <laughs> At the very <laughs> least, he looks old, looks old. Let me look it up real quick. Damian Priest is 38 so okay yeah so it's hardly developmental (laughs) hardly developmental he's been wrestling for quite a while and i don't imagine that i would not be surprised i mean 
would you be at surprised at all if Damian Priest gets at all called up to WWE main roster? Or do you think he's just going to finish out his career in NXT? I mean, 38, that's twilight years are approaching, my dude. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, probably they, they took, they, they took up, um, Bobby Roode. Um, he was like, I think he was at 40, 41 when he went up. So yeah, he could easily do it or he could easy stay in NXT. I don't think they put too much thought into these things. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll find out, uh, who, uh, for people I thought was going to win, I, my money was going to be on Bronson Reed or something. But uh, mm. I, I can see why they went with Priest since Priest has been sort of gunning for that title for quite a while. And, yeah. uh, you know, sort of the new older one compared to like Bronson Reed at the very least and Cameron Grimes. Because um, the Reed and Grimes, I believe, were both involved with that NXT breakout tournament, breakout star tournament thing. So they're still fairly new. So they, mm-hmm. they got some time before they get to any sort of titles. And then obviously, you know, Gargano it, it also could have worked, but it's also like, eh, who cares? Uh, and then the others. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, I don't even want to talk about the others because who cares if they've been in car accidents? Because we all know that's not the whole reason, but that's mm-hmm. fine. You can lie to everybody, Triple H. Anyways, moving on, because I don't want to talk about that guy anymore. And moving on to the next match, which was Adam Cole defeating Pat McAfee. That's right, that Pat McAfee in a singles match in 16 minutes and 12 seconds. This was uh, Pat McAfee's NXT debut against Adam Cole. So what did you think of Pat's not only his debut match, but how, just how he did? Uh, and do you expect to see him more in NXT moving forward? So it's really interesting the way they did this. Um, there was they kind of started off with kind of a bit of a showdown between the two of them. They were doing headlocks. Pat McAfee was doing a headlock. Uh, it was interesting. There was the the moment that everyone will see. Like they used his athleticism. There's the moment that people will remember where he did the he was pushed off the top rope and he kind of somersaulted out of it, landed on his feet and then did the the um, vertical jump up onto the turnbuckle, which was very impressive. Um, they they built him up at the beginning, um, kind of around the five, three to six, seven minute mark. He was in total control. He got the biggest offense spike of this entire match at that point. Then there was some more kind of trading of stuff before um, Adam Cole kind of took control at the end of the match. Um, they did. They did the punt. Although the commentary were very careful to say that it hit Cole in the chest. I don't know what's next for Pat McAfee if he's going to turn up again. Um, so, for example, when I was doing the statistics for this match, I've included that punt as Pat McAfee's finisher. Um, I mean, it wasn't a Randy Orton punt to the head. Maybe if he was to wrestle again, he might say win a match by punting. Um, in a different manner, but you know, it's hard to judge at this point. But yeah, it was um, it was an all right match. Pat McAfee with the most offense in the first five. Adam Cole with the most offense in the second five. Um, in the third five minutes, ten to fifteen minutes of this match, they got pretty much the exact same offense, and then Cole finished them off uh, a few minutes, a minute and eight seconds. Um, over the 15 minute mark so yeah it was it was an all right match it was it was interesting because of who was in the ring pat mcafee was good very good for a non-wrestler um yeah i'd 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 watch him wrestle again 
Yeah, I mean, looking at this, the the stats here, it's sort of just you know an all around. There, I, there's no big takeaway for me here. I mean, we had submissions, we had strikes, we had strike down. It was just sort of there's nothing really that I had mm-hmm. as a big takeaway in terms of the stats. In terms of Matt's or Pat's, I should say, debut. You know, if, for first time, or I guess technically, according to his cage match, second time wrestler. Mm-hmm. Uh, he technically has a match in 2009 against a guy named Warpig uh, nice. uh, for some indie promotion. But, uh, you know, for his for his second time match, first time in NXT, I thought he did a very good job. You know, celebrity matches are always something. And I think he brought it as as much to the table. He's a guy that understands wrestling to an extent. Mm-hmm. So he he brought it and, you know, he did a good job of uh, of, you know, supplying his end of the match. Uh, you know, it was, you know, a lot of headlocks. It was like simple uh, body drops. You know, it was just a drop kick in there, which is sort of cool. Um, and then, the you know, the big moment of the superplex spot uh, and I guess also the swanton bomb. But, you know, it wasn't like in terms of a match, it wasn't like the best match on the card, I would say. But it was definitely, you know, especially I wouldn't say it was Adam Cole's best match that he's ever had. But it was, you know, you're setting the bar lower for someone that is making their debut, let alone the fact that they're a celebrity. Um, Mm -hmm. I could easily see him return. He's definitely got the mic skills. If he just wants to return as sort of like a managerial type as well, that would also be great because he obviously has the mic skills. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a, a voice of wrestling made a point that like, you know, between this weekend of Pat McAfee and uh, Dominic Mysterio. How do you how do you feel about these uh, sort of non uh, performance center trainees uh, coming in and having fairly decent, fairly liked uh, matches compared to a lot of performance center people being like, yeah, they're fine. I mean, it's not really they're fine people. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I think I think sometimes it doesn't need to be all clean cut and perfectly executed to be entertaining. Um, I, I haven't I haven't watched the Dominic match as of yet. Um, were were they also making the point about uh, microphone skills as well though? Who uh, voice of wrestling? wrestling yes, they also talked about because they they put him over quite well for mm-hmm. his, and I also agree is that. His mic skills were great because what was great about his promo they cut, I believe on the go home show of NXT, was that he was natural. Like it it, it felt yeah. like he wasn't scripted at all. Maybe some points, but he knew how to talk, knew what to say. He was putting using actual terms and like wrestling mm-hmm. and whatnot. He it it felt real. Whereas like Adam Cole responds being like Pat McAfee yeah. this Sunday at NXT TakeOver XXX30. I'm going to kick your teeth down your throat or I don't know. You know, it, it felt it, it felt real. And I, and I think that's really the draw for Pat is that he can cut a promo. He can easily cut a promo. But but like, I think the thing is, most people can like we, yeah. we all like it's not it's not an amazing skill to be able to say stuff that will entertain people we do it all day every day like we have conversations with people and we laugh and we or at the very make- least i hope we do uh as we <laughs> as we are currently talking uh, vying uh-huh. to entertain people yeah but like it's 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 not like you know not everyone can be a uh actor and not everybody has that yeah. much control over their voice and their face and their body language and whatever mm-hmm. but like 
you know, you have conversations with your friends and you make each other laugh or you can like, and like putting together a promo, like to, to sanitize and pull the life and fun out of promos like WWE does is like a feat of dehumanization that is quite something else to make everybody sound like a robot so much so that just like two blokes coming in and not being able to sound like a robot quickly enough because they've just got there um it, it's quite something like mm-hmm. you know john moxley's um cutting promos in AEW. some people are saying that they're, they're disorganized some people are saying that they're excellent and like he does all the things that you say he he says he tells you who his opponent is he tells you how good they are he tells them how good he is and he sells the pay-per-view but he does it all by sounding like just some charismatic human rather than whatever whatever Seth Rollins is being trained to do and yeah, and, that, and that's just the overall thing is that maybe there's also an argument that like Pat's promo sounds so great because the bar around him has been yeah. so lowered that uh, anything anything different uh, is great to watch. I mean, there's also something to say about that in general about his debut match is that anything different is great to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, new is really appealing to a lot of people, and especially something that is new but also refreshing, like his promo skill there. Uh, it really draws in a lot of folks. I thought this was a good match. Like I said, I thought it was a very solid match. Uh, Pat sort of holding his own in this match against Adam Cole. Adam Cole eventually getting the win. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I give I give props to Pat. I, if if he comes back in the future, I would you know I wouldn't mind seeing that. You know, uh, whether or not he will, I guess time will tell. But I think you know. Pat would be for me a welcome to the performance center. Yeah, yeah, um, I would have no no issue with that at all. Okay, let's keep the ball rolling here. Let's move forward into the NXT Women's Championship match, where it was Io Shirai defeating and retaining her title against Dakota Kai in 17 minutes and 13 seconds. Craig, what are you sort of on that rundown of the stats, what are you thinking about this match so far? So yeah, this this for me is um, uh, the best match, the most interesting match. Um, I've been I've been going on an Io Shirai dive recently. I've been um, been checking out her stuff on Stardom, particularly the match series against Mayu Iwatani, and um, which is something that people should do if they have not already. Um, it kind of shows Io Shirai. Um, at a time that she's possibly one of, if not the better wrestlers in the world. Uh, but yeah, this is this is a really good match. What's interesting about it is um, yeah, the metrics that we're talking here, 50-50 in terms of match offense. That wasn't rounding either. That was exact. Um, yeah, um, more strikes and grapples and dives in particular from Shirai with Dakota Kai really focusing on submissions. And something that was really interesting about the way that Dakota Kai was wrestling here, uh, wrestling very, very well, I might add. Um, I was slightly doubtful whether or not she'd be up to um, the the kind of role of um, main event female wrestler in NXT. But I thought she was really, really quite excellent. But what she was doing that was really, really interesting is every time she pinned Io Shirai um, and Io Shirai would kick out, Dakota Kai would then 
reverse that into a submission move. So like the arm would go up or the leg would come up and Eoshirai would like immediately turn that into a submission move. And she did that. Um, how many times did she do that? She did that four, how many times have I got? Three, four times in the match she did that, which was really quite good attention to detail um, and like a, a wrestling skill that she's portraying her character to have that um, isn't as as common. It's the kind of thing that you could imagine Daniel Bryan or Zack Sabre Jr. doing. Or even like someone like a Thatcher on the rare case that he does go yeah. for a pin attempt. Or yeah. there actually was a moment in the Asuka Banks match at SummerSlam where Asuka, uh, it, not necessarily a pin attempt, but it was really cool where Asuka had Banks up into the electric chair position, uh, threw her down into a face buster, and as she threw her down, captured the leg and threw a knee bar on top of it. Uh, Any time those sort of moves and instances happen where you, you know, like, you know, going for a pin attempt or going for a move and immediately transitioning into another move, I think is a great point. It shows the skill level the or the intelligence as well of those wrestlers to be like okay i didn't get you with the pin well let's immediately go into a submission hold to continuously wear you down because the point of this match is again to wear you down i mean and dakota kai definitely went for it 130 seconds of submissions submission time versus shirai's 21 i mean looking at this i mean same sort of thing shirai is the striker 45 strikes versus dakota kai's 30 uh, 12 strike downs, almost double of Dakota Kai's. Um, you know, I, I think Dakota Kai brought brought it. I think she went mm-hmm. for it. I think she had a very good uh, time probably doing it. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, she did, what, did she dominate the match according to the stats? No, she did not really dominate the match. But I think that she at the very least held her own. Uh, and I think... You know, she didn't win this one, but I can potentially see her maybe winning it again down the line. We'll see. I think this is this was the match that I think she really needed to have, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. Um, and it it was an EO Shirai masterclass. She um, she um, got most of the offense in two out of the three full five minute periods. And um, there's there's more substantial chunks of red in the flow of offense um graph yeah but like it, it's you know it's eo it's eo shirai she's she's supposed to be that good she's supposed to be presented as such and it's just like what what happens next is it mercedes martinez is it rhea ripley there was a good shot at the end of that match of eo shirai um celebrating and rhea ripley was still lurking in the background after dealing with raquel gonzalez so um, couple couple ways they could go with this, um, and the only the only other one that kind of pops into mind is Candice LeRae. She's maybe got less to do at the moment, and might be more um, more suiting to step up to that match. Yeah, we have you know it's classic WWE. Who do we have as heel? So it appears that we potentially could have to heel Rhea Ripley going after the title. There's always Candice LeRae. I think would be a great point. You know, going back into that. You know, we've mentioned, uh, I believe, like we mentioned Toronto previously, that great Io Shirai, Candice LeRae match between the two of them. Um, you know, I, I think there are options there. Uh, 
I would love to see Candice Ray. I would love to see Rhea Ripley. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we could if we potentially get like a Tegan Knox Dakota Kai Shirai triple threat just to throw okay. Knox in there as well. I feel like that feud is over, but I that feud I I don't remember a definitive ending to that feud. So yeah, I could potentially see that happen as well since Knox faced Shirai and lost because of Kai. I want to say don't quite remember um, i can't remember how that ended but uh yeah i think like i said this is the this is a solid match i think it was the match dakota kai needed not only as uh a, a character but also uh just to hold her own in this division uh, you know it's a division this good as we as we everyone keeps mentioning uh, i would argue a division this good if you get the tap on the shoulder and you don't deliver, then you will easily fall behind. And I think Dakota Kai took that tap on the shoulder, went for it. And I think she's holding her place in the division. So good on Kai. Well, let's keep it going. We got the main event carrying cross with Scarlett versus Keith Lee. We're carrying cross wins the NXT championship in 21 minutes and 51 seconds. Uh, or 21 minutes, 50 seconds, I should say. Sorry. Uh, Karen Cross uh, been on a apocalyptic war path towards the NXT championship. Gets it here. Uh, thoughts on this match, Craig? Um, well, I mean, statistically, the statistics are really interesting. Um, I'd almost go as far as to suggest the statistics are more interesting than the match actually was itself. <laughs> um, so, for example, both men, 58 strikes each. That's pretty cool uh, same amount of strikes um carrying cross with one of the largest kind of accumulations of submission seconds you're going to see with 269 seconds worth of submission that's a lot um but this was only a 22 minute match um so throughout this match carrying cross had a, a 49 second submission hold a 73 a 52 uh, and a 59 there was long stretches of this match where Karrion Cross had Keith Lee in submission holds, and it wasn't Zack Sabre Jr. twisting and pulling and reversing and taking ever more limbs. It was kind of bog-standard WWE-style moves. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the best match. I wasn't as down on it as a lot of other people were, but I think that's because kind of when you're working with those kind of numbers and you're kind of noticing how they're stacking up it that that is kind of interesting in itself um interesting that keith lee's going to raw i thought he might be going to smackdown um but yeah uh, this this match was it was fine um it's a shame that Karen cross has injured himself in doing it but like if that then leads to there having to be an nxt tournament for the title and it's not him in the main event spot i don't know i think i'm okay with that if you know, without being too mean. Yeah, uh, according to Karrion Cross himself, he says that he thinks he will be okay, but uh, okay. he's no doctor, so I guess the doctors will be the one to clear him. Because um, that, that I, don't, I don't know if you saw a picture of that zoomed-in shoulder. It looks I bad. Seen, I could see whilst watching it. There was like an unnatural gap, was there not? Yeah, it was it was bad. It was bad looking. Uh, yeah, the stats of this look very interesting. I mean, to me, the 
not only does the number of submission seconds really stand out, and not only the length of the match itself. I mean, this is the longest match the Carrying Cross has ever had at this point. Uh, I mean, before this, his longest was six minutes against Champa in your house. So this uh-huh. was an insanely long thing. If anything, that to me that tells like the immense amount of punishment that Keith Lee can take. And speaking yeah. about immense amount of punishment, the third thing that really strikes to me is the match offense just being Karrion mm-hmm. Cross had two thirds of the total match offense in this match. It's 67 percent versus Keith Lee. Uh, to me, that that's the story right there is that the reason this match took so long is that Keith Lee just would take everything. You know, he would just constantly being punished and pummeled by carrying cross and it wasn't until it was just you know he just couldn't do it anymore that keith lee was a uh, put down for the count if you will i suppose i suppose the best uh, the best image to display this match is the last of the four and um, this one's kind of just chucked in as a little extra one at the end a little visual version of the first one but it really shows off what happened in this match first off you see that the pie chart um the the kind of 117 jesus kind of offenses from carrying cross the 63 from keith lee if you're wondering about how the maths quite works there and with submission when i first started putting these stats together i counted every second of submission as like a point and then it just became if any wrestler did like more submission they got like the most match offense it was a bit it didn't really make sense. So I balanced it out with like every five seconds of submission is like the same as one strike. And that does seem to balance it out really well. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that like that doesn't really ever seem like it's wrong until like this match, maybe like one or two others. So this completely, you know, the 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 offensive carrying cross, this chart, the finishers, taunts, fouls, bar chart. That's usually that's usually like the the x-axis there is usually like 100, 120 sometimes, because um, that's like a, a normal amount of submission speed in a match. Here it's stretching to three hundred, yeah. which makes the fifty-eight strikes that these two handed out look like a like a footnote in this match. <laughs> Never mind the the grapples or you know anything else. It's this was this was a match of lots of strikes would happen. Maybe one or two things happened. Carrying cross grinds them down. Same thing, carrying cross grinds them down, and I, I, it, it. But it wasn't. It probably wasn't the most entertaining version of that kind of match. If you didn't have something to amuse yourself, like writing down all the statistics. <laughs> uh, one thought about the submission seconds graph. Maybe there's an idea to doing it like uh, every submission seconds for every ten seconds. So instead of like two hundred sixty nine, it would be like two. It'd be like 26 so it'd be easier to yeah um the the five the, the five does seem to balance it really well like oh, not, look, not, i don't mean the points i mean like in putting it on the graph to make it not a blown out stat oh i see what you mean yeah I, again i would i would suggest that like if you do look through the other graphs it is usually the submissions that's pushing it and i suppose it does even with that dakota kai one but like it doesn't it doesn't generally push the graph too much. Like if you look at the Adam Cole, Pat McAfee one, it's, it's, it's fairly, it's fairly balanced. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, maybe for that graph, it should be changed a little bit. Um, I think with the exception of this match, it doesn't really spoil the graph too much. And I think it's fair enough that it spoils the graph for this match because there was 269 seconds of submission, which is an enormous amount. Yeah. I mean, fucking the guy... I mean, the guy that is known for Matt wrestling, Timothy Thatcher, was 179. This is yeah. almost, what, 90 more seconds of submissions. Uh, yeah. Just, and not only that, but I think at the very least, it also just utterly shows the amount of uh, punishment that he was doing to Keith Lee. Whether or not the match was exciting, that's what the stats mm-hmm. show is that that's what I do. I think there's also, like, whether the match, the match was exciting. I feel like that's also, like, a thing about how, like, uh, there in some wrestling matches, especially like American wrestling, the idea of submission holds is sort of like a lost art, and that Americans don't mm. really care too much about like submission and grappling and too much. Um, Possibly, but like I would, I would, I would, it would imagine somebody showed you um, the two matches that we've spoken about side by side. You you'd end up you'd end up watching the Thatcher Balor one because the way the way they're doing submissions. Um, in the carrying cross match is not that interesting, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. I, I also would imagine the carrying cross should have been like more of a striker in this match, more mm-hmm. of just like you know, I don't necessarily want to say like a Suzuki type striker, but just like a power guy that is just going to be throwing Keith Lee around. Lance Archer, perhaps. Lance Archer, I think, would be a great, yeah. great uh, angle to that. Or, or even mm. like a Brody Lee type, someone that's just going to be throwing people. Around. I was never expecting submission machine carrying cross. Uh, we sort of talked about who you think, uh, who we think, I should say, that who we think the next challenger will be for carrying cross. I think uh, Finn Balor is a possible possibility. I think uh, there's <clears throat> an argument made that I, I guess now that Adam Cole is a baby face. Uh, mm. he could maybe challenge Karrion Cross for the NXT Championship. Yeah, that's possible. I hadn't thought of that one. Yeah. Yeah, I feel, I feel like everyone's thinking about Balor and everyone's like moving on from Adam Cole. The thing about the Adam Cole situation is that in a previous incarnation of NXT, this would be like Adam Cole wins this Pat McAfee match and then he gets called up to uh, WWE on Monday Night Raw or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's interesting that Keith Lee's just gone up because it almost suggests that Adam Cole going up would be too much. Um, but then what would they even do with Adam Cole on the main roster? You know, he's small. That's, that story's been beaten to death. But he, he is, you know, he, he's... Look at Ricochet. Um, it's Adam Cole more talented than Ricochet. Probably not. They're quite similar. Just the talent looks different. So, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's 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 an odd, odd, odd one. Well, obviously, you t- have the tag team of the shorties shorty g and shorty c uh <laughs> go going up to smackdown to to team together yeah. um yeah i mean that and that's like the thing at the end of the day is that like he is there's a size thing there keith lee has obviously been a uh, red hot and main roster mm-hmm. of, of 2019 he had a great 2019 run um and yeah, I, I'm excited to see more Keith Lee. I'm excited to see how he does on the main roster. He's definitely got the size advantage to his advantage, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I also Keith Lee, I think arrived to the main roster later than Cole. So Cole is 
sort of getting to that groove of Gargano and Ciampa sort of have, have been there for a long time. So, you know, sort mm-hmm. of remember Adam Cole debuted by attacking Drew McIntyre. That's how long ago that was. Um, so we'll see. I Maybe Adam Cole could go up to SmackDown. Maybe that's something. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's feeling a little bloated all of a sudden, though, now that Roman Reigns is back. But yeah, also a good know. point. It's, 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 it's just weird. Like, what, what does it matter? Because they're not going to use him well. And it's, you know, this is this is the eternal problem with NXT. And I mean, they're not even using them well on NXT anymore. Uh, my my thing for NXT has always been that the I would argue that the issue with NXT for me has been that people graduated high school yet they aren't going off to college. They're just constantly hanging around high school. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. The the point of the developmental brand was that they would build people up get you all hyped and excited and then they'll go over to the main roster and then we'll see more of them on Mondays mm-hmm. or Fridays. Now it's like people are just staying there and they're trying to stop. And I think that's the, also the cons of establishing NXT, not as developmental territory, but establishing it as a third brand is that this entire time they've been building up Gargano and Cole and Ciampa that now that they aren't leaving, it's sort of like, okay, we've reached the pinnacle of them really quickly now what do we do with them and it's just like ah i don't know (laughs) like let's make gargano a heel with his wife let's make champa i guess just disappeared now they think about it uh and cole is a baby face now with i guess the rest of undisputed era it's a little weird can we quickly talk about uh keith lee's title run real quickly Mm -hmm. so keith lee north american champion becomes the first ever uh, double champion in NXT history by having both. The following week, he lo- he gives up. He vac- vacates his own North American Championship uh, to defend this title. Has one title defense against Karrion Cross and loses. I think event. I think having a forty-three day reign technically is what it was. Let me look it up real quick. Um. It was a 44-day reign uh, from Keith Lee. So sort of, to me, very upsetting. Uh, I really did not enjoy this. I was hoping Keith Lee would get more. I think Keith Lee deserved more. I say that even though he was the first ever double champion in NXT history, but it's just sort of like we got there, we relinquished the title, he loses it after his first defense, and then he gets called up. It was just sort of like, okay, here's his moment, and then we're he's going. He we we have to take everything away from him. Um, yeah, and maybe they knew I that sp- he was getting called up. Maybe that's part of it. So who knows? I suppose this is the issue with um, like babyface kind of stories. You know, it's not dissimilar to Johnny Gargano's run in NXT when he you know hit that big long. Um big long path to getting the the championship and then losing it to Cole mm-hmm. fairly quickly. Um, you know, Kofi Kingston, you could be, you know, he didn't hold that for very long. Daniel Bryan wasn't going to hold on to um, the title after he won it at WrestleMania 30. Um, you could almost even point towards Naito in Japan. Like, they, they have these, these 
you know, huge stories to get these titles, but then like, I think a baby face run is hard and they're doing it really well in AEW, but I think the rest of wrestling is struggling to um, make babyface champions likable and interesting um, in kind of modern day kind of fandom. Um, it's kind of, I don't know, just, I think people are just finding it hard. Yeah, and WWE has always had that problem where uh, babyface, long babyface title runs have always mm-hmm. been sort of an issue for them. Um, especially because like the whole thing is like, oh, we're building up Becky Lynch, we're building up Kofi Kingston, we're building up Daniel Bryan, or the fans are building up Daniel Bryan, uh, we're building up Keith Lee and all this stuff. And then when they do, when they achieve their goal, it's like the, it's sort of just like, well, they've achieved the goal. Okay, that's yeah. it. <laughs> like, what do we what do we do now? And I, they did a decent job of Becky Lynch holding that title for what over a year um mm-hmm. holding the raw women's championship um and but becky lynch of course was able to have the charisma and everything to really drive that f- moving forward as well so you know it, it's sort of all these sort of factors and i also agree with the nido issue um you know it's it's the it's the journey is more important than the destination i guess because mm-hmm. for me it's like the the destination is the beginning of winning the title and then it's like okay now we have the journey. I think that's maybe the point of like title reigns. It's like the it's like when going going to to a title is all about the destination, all about getting that title. But then once you have the title, it's about the journey. It's about how good your reign is, uh, as we'll talk about with Cody next week. Um, you know, it's it's that sort of idea of like how do we figure out the journey after the destination? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and it's strange they seem to not be able to have um, in- interesting, interesting kind of fighting champions that want to defend their title. Um, and I, I think it's, I think it's a problem with, uh, with the, the promos. You know, that's a, that's a big part of a babyface champion. If you can't write promos that people like, then you know your babyface champion has had his legs cut from under him already. So like. What what what's Kofi Kingston supposed to do? What you know? What what was Keith Lee going to do? Um, there was a limit to how interesting he could be when somebody was scripting his um, likability and character out of his mouth. It's it's you know I I think it goes back to that as well. It's just this is just another symptom of the kind of micromanagement and the uh, just the stifling that WWE seems to pump into their wrestlers' veins. Ironically, you're limiting the limitless one, uh, Keith Lee here. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well then, that is it for this week's episode here. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Wrestling with Statistics. Thank you so much. If you like what we do here, of course, you can subscribe to this podcast feed or any podcast feed of your choice. Basically, wherever podcasts are, you can go find Wrestling Statistics and subscribe on the Hit the Books network. Uh, so subscribe there. You know, not only that, you'll get uh, our Hit the Books uh, fancy booking GM mode kind of show. Uh, we had a SummerSlam yesterday, our SummerSlam pay-per-view special yesterday, which was very exciting, which you can go check out. And of course, we'll have the upcoming Friday episode as well. Ong of new content out uh, at some point in the future. 
um, on the same channel, on the same feed. So go check that out. Speaking of channel, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, Hit the Books Podcast, where you can see video versions of this podcast, why video versions of the podcast are sort of, I don't want to say important, but also very helpful, uh, are that all the visuals that we use for this show can be found on the YouTube channel. Uh, and so you can listen to the show while you're, or watch all the graphs and whatnot while you're listening. But of course, you can't just find them only there. You can also go to ProWrestlingMusings.com and go check out all the visuals there. Um, Craig, what do you have to plug? Um, please sign up for the Pro Wrestling Musings newsletter. Um, you'll be able to find it pinned on my Twitter feed, Craig um, PW Musings, at Craig PW Musings. Um, so it, it has highlights of the week from the website. Um, but also I'm trying to add in a special feature each week. I'm having a go at kind of interviewing people um, in kind of written form last week because of time constraints. I did myself, um, but I got Twitter questions and then just answered them. Um, probably some interesting insights into how stats are put together. Um, this coming week, this Wednesday, I'm going to be publishing a written interview with Grapple Gareth. Gareth is the person that founded and owns uh, the Grapple Ratings app, the app that you can put, uh, how, that you can rate wrestling matches and also use to find recommendations of wrestling matches. Uh, I read what he had to say this morning, and it is very, very, very interesting. Yes, great newsletter. Go check that out when it drops. Go, I guess, yeah, subscribe to that newsletter. Subscribe would be the term, right? Mm -hmm um so yeah so go check that out it was great the interview that you did with the twitter questions i thought was really good i'm excited to hear about grapple grapple um, grapple <laughs> grapple it's just a combination of grapple gareth right there uh -huh. uh, i love grapple i love using grapple all the time um i use it all the time you can i guess technically follow me on grapple as well but uh because i think that's a thing people do i don't know you can't um but yeah i i great, greatly enjoyed grapple so i'm very interested to see how that interview goes um yeah so go check out at craig pw musings or also pw musings on twitter you can go check me out at hit the books pod follow me there uh give my all my great takes and news breaking news um so subscribe go to go to the pro wrestling musings go to youtube uh, leave a review if you don't mind if you like what we did here you can also leave a review five stars uh we would greatly appreciate it it's one of those things that itunes uh loves obviously five star reviews but also number of reviews are also greatly available greatly helpful for us uh it allows you know it, the sort of algorithms and whatnot allows more people to see the show with more reviews and even more uh, five star reviews and whatnot. So go. It takes like one minute out of your day, maybe not even that, maybe 30 seconds to leave a five star review. So we would greatly appreciate that. Um, I think that is it. So thank you everybody for listening again this week's episode. We'll be back next week with an all brand new episode of Wrestling Statistics. But until then, for Craig, I have been Ryan. Until next week, we'll see you then. Goodbye. Bye.